pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you that we can come together this morning and throughout this whole season we can focus on that night, that night that our Savior was born and that night that completely changed the course of history. Father, I pray that as we continue throughout this season that our focus will be on you, that our focus will be on Jesus Christ and Father, for the next few minutes as we look into your word, I pray that you would uh, just illuminate it, just uh, open our hearts, open our minds, help us to hear from you, help your Holy Spirit to just uh, teach us through these next uh, few minutes together. And ask this in Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 3 is our text this morning. John chapter 3, it's good to see you. Uh, you know, when I sit down here, when I preach, and then I look up, I'm always surprised that, you know, there have been some folks maybe come in since I looked back last time, or maybe it just looks like there's more people from standing up here than there did on the floor a little bit ago, but uh, I love that song we just sang, Silent Night, and uh, what kind of, uh, all the pieces come together on a Sunday like today. Uh, you know, they... Uh, I knew a day or two ago about the songs that would be sung today, but I'd already written the intro to my sermon uh, that tied in Silent Night, and then I get to church this morning to pick up a bulletin, and Brother Eric had written about Silent Night, and and uh, I don't know that just for some reason maybe the words of that song need to be our focus uh, a little bit as we go through the season, but uh, I just wonder if it really was a silent night, the night that Jesus was born. Whether he was born in a barn or whether he wasn't, you know. Bible really doesn't say that he was. It says they laid him in a manger, but it doesn't say he was born in a barn. That's another lesson for another time. Done that on a Wednesday night. I'll do it again sometime. But uh, we recently attended uh, up at up at Hope. Uh, we were coming through uh, on uh, Mary's birthday. We were coming through Hope, and the church she grew up in where her mom attends, they were doing this thing called drive through Bethlehem. It was really pretty interesting. You've been to the drive through Nativity up here at Calvary Baptist Church. Probably, I'm sure they'll probably do it again this year. You ought to go if you've never been. But drive through Bethlehem was a little bit different because the whole focus was how busy it was in Bethlehem on the night Jesus was born. And as a matter of fact, I was a little concerned driving through there because I was afraid I was going to run over a Jew, a Jewish person. You know, I mean... <laughs> They were really Baptist in disguise, but but anyway, they, but you know they were they were all over the place. It was a bustling little town as they showed what Bethlehem may have been like. We don't know for sure. It's not laid out for us exactly in Scripture exactly what the town looked like on the day Jesus was born. But you think about all the extra people who would have been in town for the census and and all the extra you know I mean they they had to go to to the the town of their birth, their, their family heritage, and so there's family reunions going on, and, and the shops are busy, and as they displayed there in hope at this drive through Bethlehem, everything's bustling, everything's busy, and nobody's paying attention to the fact that down at the end of the road, the Savior's being born. You know, their focus was somewhere completely different. And it's a busy time of the year, isn't it? In 2023, in our modern day, this is one of the busiest seasons of the year. And so we stop and think, where is our focus? 
Where is our, is our focus where it needs to be? And as we come to our text this morning, that's kind of the, the thought is, you say, this is not necessarily a, a Christmas text. And I would tell you it's the most Christmas text probably uh, in the Bible outside of the birth narrative there in Luke chapter 2. But, but we find a man who's got things out of focus. Uh, or actually, we might say it uh, more clearly to say he's focused on the wrong thing. And to understand exactly what's going on here, we need to back up just a little bit from John chapter 3 and do a little homework and just kind of understand what's going on. We're not going to read uh, very much from chapter 2. I just want to point it out to you here. Of course, Jesus, is, is he's into his ministry at this point. This is not the babe in a manger. This is the full-grown man, Jesus, doing his ministry. And it says there in chapter 2, verse 13, that it's the Passover. They're in Jerusalem. This is the most busy time of the year. You think Bethlehem was busy during the census. Nothing compared to Jerusalem at Passover. This was a busy place. And if we were to read verses 13 and following, we see that Jesus is uh, making a statement. We'll just say it like that. Jesus goes into the temple. He makes a whip out of cords, and he clears the temple. He cleanses the temple of the money changers and, and those who are really defiling uh, the house of God, which is to be uh, a house of prayer. They've, they've turned it in uh, to a den of, of thieves, a den of robbers, as, as he describes them uh, in the Scripture. And, and so it's safe to say Jesus has upset some people. Folks know he's around, and in verse 23, it tells us here, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. So we know there's a lot that went on here that John doesn't tell us. There were many, as John calls them signs, we might use uh, more of the vernacular we're familiar with, miracles. There's a lot of stuff that Jesus did that John doesn't record. They believed in his name because they saw the signs, but look at verse 24. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. So what's going on here is they're believing based on what they see. This is not genuine faith. Jesus knows most of them really don't have the kind of faith that saves. So he didn't commit to them. And, and, and that's where we pick up the story. Because you see, as we look in our English translations and we find these chapter and verse divisions, we sometimes say new chapter, new story. But that's not the case here. This is a continuation of the story. As we read in John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it says that, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, 
he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and you do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who has uh, came down from heaven that is, the Son of Man, who is in heaven. As, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You know, as we focus on this text this morning, and, and like I said, so oftentimes we look at it and we say, new chapter, new story. But really, Nicodemus is one of those people referred to uh, there in verse 23 of John chapter 2, when it says he was in Jerusalem uh, at the Passover and and during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. Then John says, oh yeah, and one of those folks was a man named Nicodemus. This is a continuation of that story. So before we get to the main point to the sermon, and we're going to tie all this back into the Christmas season, we need to pause and say, what do we know about Nicodemus? Other than the fact that, that he obviously believed uh, in Jesus, at least at least in some ways because of the signs that he saw. What do we know about Nicodemus? Well, we, we know a lot just from chapter 3, verse 1. It says he was a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews. Now, the Pharisees, of course, we hear about them all the time. We don't often stop and, and define who they were and what they were, but it's the largest, most influential religious uh, political party in the New Testament day. These uh, were the ones who, uh, the word Pharisee quite literally means separated ones. Now, separated maybe in more ways than they intended. Separated in their own minds in the fact that they thought they were better than you. <laughs> you know, and they often didn't mind uh, letting you know. Several weeks ago, maybe the last time I preached, I don't remember when it was, but we talked about the the prayer, you know, the Pharisee and the tax collector. And he prayed, God, don't let me be like this tax collector. You know, thought he was better than this sinner over here. But really, they were separated. The original meaning of that, they're separated from the common people, so to speak, to the study of the Mosaic Law. Experts on the Mosaic Law. And not only that, they controlled the synagogues. They had a lot of control over uh, Jewish life, and, and they opposed Jesus because he disagreed with their interpretations of the law. 
and then says he's a ruler of the Jews. Simply to say he's a member of the Sanhedrin. He is one of those 70 men who served on what we might call the Jewish Supreme Court of the day. This is a powerful man. Uh, Nicodemus is no doubt uh, a well-educated, a very intelligent man. And he has seen these things. No doubt he has seen what's gone on in Jerusalem. No doubt he has seen or at least heard of the fact that Jesus cleansed the temple and the uproar Jesus caused there when he ran out the money changers. There's no doubt he has either seen or heard of the miracles that Jesus has performed. And he comes to Jesus. And look what he says in verse 2. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Now, don't miss the fact that that's a question. You say, well, it does not phrase like a question. I'd submit to you that's a question. You ever walked up to somebody and said, now you're so-and-so's son. You didn't go up to tell them who their daddy was or who their mama was. That's your way of saying, aren't you so-and-so's son? I think that's what Nicodemus is doing here. He's going up to Jesus, and he's essentially saying, we know you're a teacher come from God. Is that right? See, he's going to Jesus to confirm what he thinks he knows. Why do I think that's what he's doing? Because of some other information we have here, it says in verse 2 that he came to Jesus by night. Now, we can read all kinds of different commentaries and and I, and I did, and there's several commentators who will say he most likely came to Jesus by night because as a Pharisee, he knows the rest of the Pharisees, the rest of the Sanhedrin, you know, they're trying to find ways to get rid of Jesus because of what he's done. He just cleansed the temple. He just made a lot of people mad. And uh, Nicodemus doesn't want to be associated with Jesus. Maybe that's one option. Another option that you'll find some people say, they say, well, you, you read all through the Gospels, and you find how Jesus was just often just completely surrounded by these multitudes during the day. And there's no way Nicodemus could have gotten to Jesus during the day when all these crowds are around him. There's no way he could have gotten to him for this one-on-one conversation. Maybe there's some truth to that. I think there's a third option that we could lend a lot of support to, and that is, in this day and time, it's historically documented, historically proven that, that the Pharisees, the rabbis, often used nighttime as their primary study time. I think Brother Eric falls right in that tradition. I sleep at night, study during the day. I might not survive back then. But that's when they did the bulk of their study time because they were so consumed with the, with the uh, just regular processes of life during the day. And so they did their study at night. And, and, and I think Nicodemus, he's been seeing what's going on, and he's seen these signs that Jesus has done. He knows about Jesus cleansing the temple, and, and he begins to, to at least believe partially in Jesus based on what he's seen. And he's, it's nighttime. It's his study time. I think he's been, been back in his study 
pouring through what we would know as the Old Testament Scriptures, the only Scriptures they had at the time, saying, who is this fellow? What do the prophets say about what? Is this the Messiah? And then I think he does the best thing he could do, and he goes straight to the source. When he can't figure anything else out, Nicodemus goes straight to the source. And he says, tell me who you are. You know, I think there is a tremendous lesson there for you and I. We hadn't even got to the main points of the sermon yet, but this can't be overlooked. Because we get down to this and we say, you know what, we're going to face things in life we don't understand. We're going to face things about our Christian walk that we don't understand. We're going to sometimes be presented with questions about Jesus that we don't understand. And can I just tell you, there's a lot of people out there willing to give you an answer. There's a lot of places we can go to find an answer, even if it's not the right one. We just need to do like Nicodemus and go to the source. So how do we do that? He walked straight up to Jesus and talked to him. Well, you see, we've got something Nicodemus didn't have. Peter describes it over in 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. Peter says, uh, he says, For we, uh, talking about the disciples, talking about the apostles, we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power of, and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed which you do well to heed as a light that shines in dark places until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. What's Peter saying? Peter's saying, this stuff that we now know as the New Testament. I mean, Peter goes as far as to refer to the writings of Paul as Scripture. And he's saying these Scriptures that you have, they didn't have them before. You now have the prophetic word confirmed. Nicodemus went straight to Jesus face to face. We can too. We can look at him face to face as we look into his word. That's what this is. We have the advantage of that. We have the advantage of the prophetic word confirmed, and we ought to use it. Nicodemus was right to go straight to the source. As we come to our first main point of the sermon, that introduction's over, we find that he was asking the wrong question. He really was. Nicodemus was asking the wrong question. I would tell you he had a misplaced focus. Look at verse 2 again, John chapter 3, verse 2. It says, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, 
for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. We know you're from God because of what we've seen. That's what Nicodemus says. Because of what we've seen. That's the same superficial faith that's described back in chapter 2, verse 23. When it says the crowd believed in Jesus because of what they saw, but Jesus saw their hearts, and it says he didn't commit himself to them because my translation here, he knew they didn't have saving faith. Nicodemus says, we've seen, therefore we think you're from God. Now, while he was right, he went about it the wrong way. What's wrong with a belief based off of miracles? Well, because eventually, the impact of what you saw fades. Think about it for a minute. Think about the miracles that Jesus performed. Jesus turned the water into wine. But then they drank the wine. Well, the proof is gone. He gave sight to the blind, but those folks moved on. He raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus died again. You know that? I mean, he did. Where's the proof of the miracle? If everything you base, if you base your belief on what you see, that fades. Because what you see fades. Salvation comes by grace through faith. That's what Paul wrote in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 8. He says, For by grace you're saved through faith that not of yourselves, it's the gift from God. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And Nicodemus says, we're basing all of our belief in you on what we've seen. Jesus says that doesn't work. Jesus says, we're going to redirect your focus. Look down here in verse 3. Jesus answered him and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You stop and wait and say, that don't make a lot of sense because Nicodemus says, we've seen what you've done and we think you're from God. And Jesus starts talking about being born again. You know, you say, these two things just don't really seem to go together. We, we might look at this and think Jesus' comments just kind of out of left field somewhere. It's just kind of off the wall. And, you know, we, we might read this at face value and, and say Nicodemus must have thought he lost his mind, especially because Nicodemus responded in verse 4 and says, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? And here's where we have to stop for a minute and do a little homework, and realize the fact that Nicodemus understood the analogy. The analogy here wasn't lost on Nicodemus. And when Nicodemus responds in verse 4, how can a man be born when he's old? He's not questioning the analogy. He's carrying forward the analogy. He's responding to Jesus using the same terminology that Jesus had just used. Nicodemus knew exactly what Jesus meant when he said born again. How do we know that? 
because the concept of being born again is a Jewish concept. Jesus didn't invent that here on the spot in John chapter 3. I mean, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Nicodemus is one of those highly educated of the Jews. He knows all about the concept of a second birth. Because you see, when a person converted from another faith to Judaism, the terminology they used to describe that person, the Jewish people of that day would say that person had been born again out of the religion they had been in into Judaism. And so radical was this change, uh, they thought that even the sins the person had committed before they became a Jew were no longer there. As a matter of fact, William Barclay says about Jewish people of this time that it was even theoretically argued that such a man who had been born again could marry a blood relative because he was completely a new man and all the old connections were broken and destroyed. That's how radical they viewed the new birth. Being born again for a Jew meant a complete change in who you are as a person. So I'd submit to you that Nicodemus knew exactly what Jesus was saying. So why did he ask the question? How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus didn't think Jesus was telling him he had to go back into his mother's womb and come out again. Nicodemus is knowing exactly what Jesus means in that in order to follow Jesus, you've got to be completely different than what you were before. You know, that following Jesus ought to completely change who you are. He asked the question, how can a man be born when he's old? That word old comes from a Greek word, geron, which is where we get our word geriatric. I'm not going to ask for, a raise, uh, you know, for you to raise your hands if you identify in that category. Not. I'm just going to tell you Nicodemus wasn't a young man. He self-identifies as geriatric. That's who Nicodemus is. He is not a young man. He's been a Pharisee a long time. He has been engrossed in this focus on the law and all the rules that the Pharisees created that added on to the law. He's been engrossed in this for a long, long time. He has been part of one of the most legalistic societies ever known to man for a long, long time time. And now Jesus tells him the only way to the kingdom of God is to follow something that makes you be a completely different person. And he's saying, I've been doing this for so long. How could I ever change? How how could I change? His primary concern is that he's too old, that he's too engrossed in his way of life. And I just tell you, friends, you're never too old to follow Jesus. You're never too old to be changed by Jesus. You're never too addicted to be changed by Jesus. You're never too engrossed in your way of life that Jesus can't change you. And that's what Jesus tells him. 
the older we get, sometimes the more we do get stuck in our ways. But our ways won't get us to heaven. In John 14, Jesus says, I am the way to heaven. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And if we continue to read here in John chapter 3, this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus continues on, and we're going to look at it as some more tonight, but this morning I'm just going to summarize the rest of it for you. Does that work? We'll summarize all of this for you. Nicodemus says, I don't understand. And Jesus says, if you understood, it wouldn't be faith. If you understood, if you completely understood, it wouldn't work. We come down to verse 14. Skip down to there for now. Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. There's, there's no doubt, knowing Nicodemus' beliefs as a Pharisee, that Nicodemus is, is looking for a blood sacrifice. And Jesus says, that's me. Just as the serpent was lifted up, so must I be lifted up. And, you know, he says, that's me. You don't have to do anything. I've got it covered. All you have to do is believe. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how bad you are. It doesn't matter how educated you are. It doesn't matter how smart you are. You know, how much money you've got. Good, bad, old, young, educated, ignorant, whatever it may be. Jesus sums it up in one word. Here's who Jesus has covered. Whoever. Whoever believes. You know, I looked that up. Word whoever means all. And out of this room, that includes you. Every one of you. And that includes me. Dr. Adrian Rogers says, there's no one so bad they cannot be saved. And so, no one so good they need not be saved. I'll add on to that and say, there's nobody so old they cannot be saved. There's nobody so engrossed in their own way of doing things that they cannot be saved. Nicodemus came to Jesus, wanting to add Jesus to what he was already doing. But what he found out is that Jesus was all he needed. What he found out is that the gospel is not our situation plus Jesus. The gospel is just Jesus. And I think that's something we all need to remind ourselves as we walk through the Christmas season. It's not about adding Jesus to what we already do. It's not about adding Jesus to our celebration It's not about adding Jesus to whatever else we got planned. Christmas is only about Jesus. Christmas is about Jesus. So many things distract us this time of year. The lights, the decorations, the parties, the gifts. And I I think I can go so far as to say, I think sometimes the narrative of the Christmas story distracts us from the real meaning of the season. Say, well, how's that? Sometimes we get so focused on the details. Like, I won't let Mary buy the wise men that go with our nativity scene because they weren't there, okay? But we can get so focused 
on that sort of thing that we just lose complete track of what it's all about. Right here in our text, we have, I think, the best and most succinct retelling of the entire Christmas story in the whole Bible. Verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's what it's all about, folks. There's nothing else. That's what Christmas is all about. As we move through the Christmas season, our focus may even need to be just on the first six verses. For God so loved the world. That's what it's all about. Nicodemus was focused on the miracles. He was focused on the flashy. He was focused on what he could see. Jesus said, no, it's not about all that. We prepare for our invitation. It's, Christmas is not about the flashy. It's not about the things that we can see with our eyes. It's about the faith that we have and the fact that God loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son to die for us, to take our place. And maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know, I've lost my focus. I really hadn't been focusing on Jesus. I've had my focus on a lot of other things. Well, based on the story of Nicodemus and the rest of the testimony of Scripture, I can tell you it's never too late to get your focus back where it needs to be. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, but you, you look in the mirror and you say, how could somebody like me be saved the same way everybody else is saved. Paul said in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God's raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That whosoever, the same word in John 3, that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can't change you, but Jesus can. Would you let him do it today as we stand and sing?